Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right, good morning, guys. Thank you for joining us today on our first Sunday in the new space. How cool is this? I can actually hear you guys singing. It's not a thousand degrees. Uh, The chairs are not freakishly tiny. Uh, Man, it is just a win all the way around. Thank you for being here, joining us. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but it is now time for a DTR. Does anyone know what that is? That might be an old-fashioned phrase now. Define the relationship. See, there's feedback now in this space. That's weird. People were scared in the big cavern that we used to be in. Uh, Yeah, define the relationship. Uh, I don't know if people even say this anymore, but uh, it is the worst, right? Uh, When you heard that, like, this is coming, like, all of a sudden, stress, anxiety is just through the roof, like, you're not ready for this. It's even harder for you guys who are dating today because now there are, like, 30 categories for what this relationship can be defined as. Back in the day, defining the relationship would be, like, has your father talked to my father about how many camels we think you're worth, right? Like, that's kind of, I know there's problems with that one, too. I'm just saying, like, now it's very, very complex. Like, do we like each other? Do we like, like each other? Are we talking? Which I've never understood, right? Like, are we talking? The answer is yes. Like, that was communication right there. Like, oh, we're just talking. It's not really that serious, right? What does that mean? I don't even know, right? Uh, Then there's like, are we exclusive? Are we dating? Are we courting if you're really like old fashioned? I don't know if anybody's doing that anymore. Are we texting? That's even worse than talking, I think, right? Like, uh, are we talking on the apps? Now, I think that's like the lowest form, right? I just realized this, and, you know, the apps came along after I became, uh, you know, off the market, as it were. And uh, I don't understand them. They're fascinating to me. You can talk to multiple people on the apps at one time which is basically like being on a first date with seven people at the same time. You know, you're kind of like, okay, Tommy, yeah, you're an interesting guy. All right, Billy, yeah, 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 you went snowboarding? Cool, right? Like, just all the time. I don't understand it. It would be super confusing to be able to define these relationships. Then you have to ask, are we serious? That's probably a next level of definition, you know? And then finally, you're like, are we engaged? Or are we, like, engaged to be engaged? They have that whole category for us now, right? Anyway, I'm sorry for all of the flashback memories that I just brought to all of your minds, right? Like if you've ever been in one of these situations, it's not pleasant. In fact, I remember one time when Sarah and I were dating, there's this song uh, that came out from John Mayer called Say What You Need to Say, right? That dates my our relationship a little bit, right? So say what you need to say. You've probably heard it before. I won't sing it. Um, so uh, I was like humming part of that song. I was trying to explain to Sarah what it was, but I couldn't remember the, same, or the name of the song. It was just like on the tip of my tongue. So that happened at like probably 3 p.m. The timeline's important here. That happened at probably 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Around like 9 p.m., we find ourselves in the middle of a DTR, right? So we're like trying to define the relationship. Got a little heated and confusing and just it didn't go well, right? We obviously worked out fine, but didn't go well in that moment. Flash forward to about 10.30 p.m., I remember the name of this song. Now, another important note to remember is that this was back in the T9 texting days. Texting was laborious, okay? So I was like, click, 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 click. So I wasn't going to say, like, uh, on a phone today, I'm not going to talk into my phone, like, hey, Sarah, I remember the name of this song. Instead, I just put the name of the song in there, thinking she would remember back to uh, when we had had this conversation earlier. So after our sort of semi-argument about defining the relationship, all she got was a text from me that said, say what you need to say. Uh, which then uh, I got quite a text back, okay? So maybe it was actually good for us. I don't really know. Uh, We're going to call it a win, right? Now, 
That was my terrible and awful segue into saying today Jesus is inviting you to define the relationship with him. Oh, gross, right? That's almost as bad as when I talked about Easter eggs for an hour last week, all right? I know, I know, it's tacky. But I think what you know about these define the relationship conversations is even when they're awkward, they are useful to have. And this is actually at this weird sort of midpoint in Jesus's ministry, so right in the middle of it, uh, as best we can tell, where he makes some sort of transition, And in the beginning, he was just sort of talking to everyone and anyone and letting them sort of decide where they fall and just sort of not having to clear anything up. And here he makes a stark transition with this parable that we're talking about today to say, are you in? Are you out? What does our relationship look like? What do we need to do? So everyone in this room today is going to have to have some sort of a DTR with Jesus, some sort of a relationship with him. Now, you may not think of yourself as having a person or being a person that has a relationship with Jesus, but you have some sort of relationship with him. Might be a good one, might be a bad one, you might be with him, might not be with him, but you have something. Here's what Jesus said, verse 13, or chapter 13, verse one. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he, came, or as he was scattering the seed, some, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And, uh, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched. They withered up and choked, or I'm sorry, they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and produced a, or grew, I'm sorry. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And immediately when you hear that, I think if you're anything like me, you ask the question, what in the world does this mean? What does this story mean? mean? And if you do ask that question, you're probably a lot like the disciples, because they had this exact same question. They were like, okay, that's an interesting little story, probably not talking about seeds, but what are you actually talking about? And what this story is, is something called a parable. And this is the, one of the first times that Jesus actually shares what he's teaching in Matthew uh, through a parable. He says uh, that a parable is basically like a story. This is not what Jesus says, but this is what we define a parable as. A parable is a real-life story that tells a spiritual reality, okay? A real-life story that tells a spiritual reality. So he's taking something that they all knew, they all recognized, they understood, planting, right? This was a very agrarian society, so they could wrap their minds around it. And he's telling us something more, And if you're wondering what more is he telling us from this parable, then you should be like the disciples and take comfort knowing that they were just like us. In verse 10, they said, or it says, then the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And eventually Jesus responded, but first he said this. In verse 11, he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are you, 
Your eyes see, or your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus is doing a couple of things here in telling them all of this and answering their question with this long sort of passage. First off, he's recognizing that prophecy has been fulfilled in their hearing, like where they are, prophecy is being fulfilled, which is a pretty cool thing, right? They would have all have read the book of Isaiah, where this comes from. They would have known, they would have been reading that for 600 years or so at this point, or a few hundred years. Uh, they would have been reading Isaiah and looking forward to what Isaiah was talking about. And now Jesus is standing right in front of him, or in front of them, and he says, hey, that is actually about me. Isaiah was constantly telling the people of God that they were people of God that weren't actually listening to God. Now God had come down among his people, and still they were not listening. He's also doing something really neat here. He's giving the disciples a proper perspective about how much of them being followers of Jesus is actually their work. Like, did you notice that through this passage? He says that their eyes and their ears are blessed because they see and hear. So if you, like the disciples, are a follower of Jesus, he is saying that you are blessed enough to see the truth, blessed enough to hear and to understand. Now, there's something important to notice there, that Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's a good thing that you were smart enough to hear and understand the gospel. It's a good thing that you were good enough to see what was up. It's a good, enough that, it's a good thing that you were like, lucky enough. No, these are none of the things that Jesus says. He says, you are blessed enough. Now, this is not like a hashtag blessed kind of thing, right? This is totally different. This is the word here in Greek, makarios. I'm sorry to any Greeks in the room. My, translation, or my uh, pronunciation is probably really rough. Uh, I'm sorry about that. What it literally translates to is being happy, but it carries with it the sense of being favored by God. And in fact, uh, this word is even sometimes applied to God in a sense of praise. So you might say, blessed are you, God. Now, the Greeks that were hearing this back in the day uh, would use this word to describe someone who is enjoying a state of being reserved only for the gods. So, to put it in a modern-day context, if you're sitting on a beach and getting your nails done while sipping a pina colada and you posted hashtag blessed, your ancient Greek friends would look at your Instagram and they'd be like, who does girl think she is, Aphrodite, right? Like, what's going on here, okay? Now, that was a long jog to get there to say, like, we do not use this word in the same sense that Jesus is using this word, right? Jesus is saying, how happy are you? Happy almost like you are a god, because you have heard, you have seen, you have understood the good news that I am telling to you. Jesus' usage here and all throughout Scripture, blessing is something that comes from the Lord, not something that is earned by human beings. A lot of times, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a real temptation to sort of pat yourself on the back, like, look at this good decision that I've made. Look how great I am. If you're not one of those people who have ever done that before, I'm sure you know someone who, who is or who has acted like that before. Like, look at me. I'm so smart. I did the right thing. I made the right choice. I'm so much better than those other people. That is not at all how Jesus describes people who are following him. They are, in fact, blessed by God to see the kingdom of God, to understand the good news. Now, before we really get into this, we have to clear up two things. <clears throat> One is that Jesus is about to create some categories for ways that people respond to the gospel or the message of the kingdom, and that you all, us all, myself included, we fit into one of these categories. 
one of these categories that Jesus lays out. The second thing that we need to define is that what this message that Jesus has even is. Throughout this passage, he refers to it as the message of the kingdom or the word. Elsewhere, he calls it the gospel, which translated literally means the good news. And the good news is simply this, that there is a better kingdom. That there is more to this world than just brokenness and evil. That there is more to this life than just all of the terrible things that are happening around us. There is more to this life even than all of the mundane and boring things that are happening around us. In fact, even the best good that exists here on earth is just a foretaste of this kingdom that Jesus is talking about here. And even though you and I are part of the badness that we've like contributed to the wrong that is the world in some way, even though we are the cause of it, it's some level. Jesus lived a perfect life, died a wrongful death so that we might enjoy this eternal life forever. Now, I have just shared with you the gospel in like the simplest, shortest form possible. And I am telling you today that if we can trust Jesus at all right here, he is saying to us that we have to do something with that information, right? We can't just like leave it there and be like, huh, that's interesting. In this moment, You have to decide whether it's true, whether it's not, whether you believe it enough to place your entire life into it or whether you don't. This is what defines your relationship with Jesus. The first three categories that Jesus gives us are for people that don't get it. Verse 18, listen to what the the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away so that what was sown in their heart, or it snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once, receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So that's Jesus' description of what the parable is actually saying. How crazy is it? I want you to notice here that Jesus here is saying that people will walk away from the faith. That people will maybe like start out as like followers of Jesus and trying to be followers of Jesus, but may not stay that way. We think it's like a modern phenomenon, right? Like modernity and deconstruction or whatever you want to tell it, call it is going to like destroy the church. That's not the truth. In fact, from the very first moment where the gospel is being shared, Jesus is saying, hey, people are not going to like this. Some people are going to walk away from it. Some people might stick with it for a little while and then leave it later. Some people are going to be on some sort of like different journey. Like Jesus is telling us this is normal, which should give us a little bit of comfort, right? He breaks it down into three categories. Those who don't understand it, those who fall away when it gets hard, and those who get caught up in life. Let's take each of these categories individually. First, those who don't understand. We see this in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, or snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Some people will simply just not get it. Now, this is comforting to you if you are a person who has shared your faith with someone, and then they don't actually come to know Jesus. Jesus is saying that happens. You can present the gospel, the good news with passion, with gusto, with whatever you have. You can do it exactly right. You can be patient. You can share the gospel a thousand times with some people, and some people just simply won't get it. Now, some of us really, really, really hate this one, right? We hate that this category even exists because we want to be in control. Maybe we care about our friends and loved ones enough to share the gospel with them. We want them to see see them change. 
It breaks our heart to see it not happen. I have seen this in my own life. Some people you share over and over and over again, you think they get to a place where they might accept Jesus and then they don't. You've also seen, or I've also seen, where you share over and over and over again to find out years later that they finally accepted. <clears throat> I actually have a friend that, uh, in the most uncertain terms ever, uh, told me Jesus is not for him, right? Like I was like telling him about Jesus. He was curious about it. He was interested. Really tried it out for months and months and months, and then like came up to the end. And I was like, uh, "It sounds like you're in this weird place." I don't know why I'm stuck on relationships today. I'm sorry about that. I was like, "It sounds like you're in this weird place where you're dating Jesus, but also want to keep dating other people." And he was like, "Exactly." And I was like, "I don't think it works that way, right?" And so he was like, "Well, I don't think I want Jesus." And I was like, "Hmm, okay, that is sad." The other day, I got this text I randomly out of the blue from like a mutual friend, so not even from him, that he was getting baptized, I guess last week, uh, at another church here in town, which is just like fabulous. And I was walking around carrying, I think for this entire time, this weight that like everything had been like carried on me, that I was like, I did it wrong, right? Like if I was more persuasive, if I could like better understand his position or something like that, that's simply not the case. And I share that story alongside this category to just say that the way that we ought to be able to share the gospel with people who need to hear it is freely and openly trusting God with the results. You can do the best that you can. You can try your hardest. And at the end of the day, it is between that person and God what their relationship is going to be. It's not up to you, and it never was. The second category is those who fall away. Verse 20 and 21 say this, The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. I think at first read, we can read this like there are people that were like, Jesus, I will follow you. And then a soldier walks up and he's like, cool, you're going to be crucified. And they're like, oh, uh, never mind. Uh, I think I'm, I'm all right. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, now, that's certainly part of it, right? Like that's like people who, you know, hear the word. They have no root. Trouble or persecution comes. They fall away quickly. I think that's definitely a part of this verse. I kind of wonder, though, if there's a more like modern reading that we can take. Because in America, that's not necessarily happening. <clears throat> perhaps a more modern reason he's, or reading is that people will say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And then another idea sort of like sneaks into their head, right? And then another and another and another, and it's tough to like keep them all reconciled. You come to a place where you go like, well, if Christians act like that, I'm not sure if I want to be one. I imagine most of us in this room have had like that feeling before, right? You have that idea where you go like, I really, really believe in this thing, like whatever it is, like I believe this about people, I believe this about the way that human beings act, I believe this about, you know, culture, whatever it might be, and you, then you come across something that tells you that God actually disagrees with your opinion on that, and then you're faced with a choice, right? And I think Jesus is saying here is if your faith doesn't actually have any root, it'll be snatched up in that moment. Now, most of us don't actually renounce the faith as a result of this. 
We just sort of like move it to the side, right? Our spirituality becomes less sort of like prayer and scripture and biblical community. It becomes more like, you know, watching YouTube videos and like, you know, talking trash about how these other Christians don't really get it. Like, I think that's what's sort of like happening here. And it is a result of some sort of like trouble and persecution. Like, I'm, I'm not going to get up here and give you some sort of like fundamentalist rant to say like, ah, Christians are the most persecuted people in America. I don't. I don't necessarily think that that's true, but what I am going to tell you is that it is difficult in some circles, and you've probably run into this, to actually stand up for your faith and still be accepted in those circles. And when you face that, that is the moment when you're going to find out whether or not your faith has any root. So how do we avoid this? The ones who avoid this believe correctly that the gospel of the kingdom is better than any praise of man, It is better than any earthly comfort. It is better than any cultural fad or movement. The ones who avoid this would say, though it make me a bigot, though it make me an outcast, though it may cost my very life, I will follow Jesus. Because he's more important to me than all the rest. The last category for people that walk away from Jesus is those who get caught up in life. Verse 22 says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I want you just to think before we really dive into this, how sad a thing it is that like the cares and woes of the world would push you away from Jesus. Like we're like talking about like spiritual realities here and it sounds like, you know, worrying about going to the DMV is kind of like what's unseating Jesus. And yet, some of us have, might be edging towards it right now. Someone once said that a king always gets a report of the goings on in his kingdom first thing in the morning. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what kingdom gives you its news first thing in the morning? That's probably your primary kingdom. If that's what you're most concerned about, first thing when you wake up, is it social media? What's going on in the world? Is it your investments, checking your money, something like that? Is it the actual news? Like, oh man, I need to figure out what's happening. Or is it the word of God? Is it spending time with God? Learning about reality as it actually is. And can I be honest to say that like my own answer to those questions does not comfort me? This one, I think, is death by a thousand cuts. No one's ever like, I love Jesus, but I think I like money more, so I think I'm going to chase that instead. No, that's not how it works. It's a bunch of micro decisions, little priorities, choosing one thing over another. Sometimes it's work that sneaks in. Uh, We're in Colorado, so honestly, probably recreation more than work for most of us, right? Like, there's this real temptation to make that, like, number one. And it's never a decision where you're like, do I want to be a person that skis or do I want to be a person that follows Jesus? It doesn't work like that. And in fact, missing one Sunday so you can go skiing is not the worst thing in the world. The problem is, when you make a little priority decision like that, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and all of a sudden you turn around and you're like, I don't know if I'm living the life that I wanted to live. Sometimes it's stress and anxiety. Now, here's a really, really tough one. And I want you to notice here in the passage, actually, Jesus talks about it. He says, the worries of this life. 
and the deceitfulness of wealth. See, like wealth and all the things that it brings, bringing the good, the good life, so we think, that seems like appealing, right? And we're like, I get how somebody could chase after Jesus, but why would we exchange Jesus, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, freedom from worry, uh, to instead exchange it for worry? This is one that happens so slowly that you don't even recognize that it's going on. That all of a sudden that little issue becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, or even that big issue becomes something that is all-consuming to your brain. I don't have to tell you guys the sort of threat and difficulty that worry and stress and anxiety can cause to your life. Man, it is painful, it is difficult, and many of us are living with it day in and day out as if it's the only option. Now look, I wish I could wave a magic wand that had Jesus written on it and all of your worries and anxieties would go away. I don't think that that's possible. I wish I could even just tell you, hey, go to three sessions of counseling and it'll be fixed. I don't think that that's necessarily possible. It might be in your case. I'm not sure. The counselors in the room say no, but they might want more money, so I'm not really sure if we can trust them either. I'm just kidding. No, no, that's all right. Uh, I'm pro-counseling. Anyway, what I am saying is, man, if... Stressing out and worrying about the cares and woes of life is your primary focus in life. It is going to become an echo chamber in your mind that is going to be extremely difficult to escape. Finding a way to prioritize Jesus over the things that you're worrying about, I think is the only way to break that chain. Those are the three categories for people who are not following Jesus. But let's not forget how this whole tale ends. If you're a follower of Jesus, sorry, I have something on me. We're in an active construction zone right here, so I'm realizing that more and more as we are going. Oh, man. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus and a blessed understander of the good news, like a good plant, you should produce more. That's what Jesus says in verse 23. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, do you see what Jesus did here? He kind of snuck something in there. He actually uh, didn't have that. Like, uh, or I mean, he ends up explaining his parable, his metaphor, by using another metaphor. He says, this is the one that produces a crop and yields. So what he's saying here is a seed that sinks in and makes its home in the earth will eventually grow to yield a crop. And in the same way, good news being planted in you should produce something, should yield something. So we have to ask the question, what is it producing? Hopefully it's not actual pieces of fruit, right? Uh, He's saying, well, if the kingdom or the message of the kingdom of God is being planted in you, then that is what you should be producing, That you should yield little bits of the kingdom of God around you. And if the kingdom of God is something that is fully realized in what we describe as heaven, eternal life with God, then what you in fact should be producing as a follower of Jesus is little pieces of the kingdom of God. Little pieces of heaven brought here on earth. That is what you should be producing. And that probably looks a little bit different for every follower of Jesus here in this room. I believe that each and every one of us are custom-made, are built, are designed and called to be able to produce some sort of fruit for the kingdom of God. 
The easiest way to understand this and to wrap your mind around the type of fruit that you should be producing as a follower of God is to ask yourself what you care about and ask yourself what would that look like in heaven? Are there any people in heaven that don't have homes? I don't think so. Maybe the fruit that you produce for the kingdom of God is giving people who are unhoused a place to live. Are there any people in the kingdom of heaven who are lonely and outcast? Maybe your place in the kingdom of God is bringing people together so that they're not alone anymore. Are there any people in the kingdom of heaven who are experiencing injustice? No. Maybe your calling is to stop and fight injustice in whatever sphere of influence you have been given. The other thing that seeds produce when they become plants, producing plants, is more seeds. They reproduce. They produce more plants. So going out and sharing the gospel is less an act of you like trying to create this like cool presentation, like I gotta tell them about the good news, I gotta give them all this information, I gotta do it the right way or else it's not gonna work out, and more an act of you just reproducing what is already inside of you. In fact, I love this plant analogy because you know what plants don't do? They don't worry. Plants don't stress. Plants don't feel a lot of like pressure bearing down on them. Plants don't feel a lot of anxiety as to whether or not they're being a good enough plant right? Like, have you ever seen, like, a, a corn stalk talking to a counselor? No, okay? So my point stands. You can't argue with me. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Plants are not stressed about this. Many of us have a lot of stress and anxiety and pressure about sharing the good news with someone, because we're like, what if we, they reject me? What if this happens? What if that happens? And Jesus here is saying, hey, all those things might happen, and in fact, what they're doing is they're rejecting me even more than you. All I'm asking you to do is to go and be a good plant and do what plants do. Plants just enjoy being the plant that God has made them to be. They soak up the water and sun, make seeds, and make more plants. They delight in being plants just as God intended. Trust me on this. I don't know how I know, but I know, right? I think plants just enjoy being plants. And if you could actually wrap your mind around, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you could wrap your mind around just being the exact follower of Jesus that he's calling you to be, listening to him, trusting his word, spending time with him, chasing hard after him, and just enjoying and delighting in him, I believe in the exact same way you'll enjoy and delight in reproducing that seed, sharing that good news of the kingdom with others. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.